Okay, for our first message this morning, it'll be brought to us by Mr. Mark McGarvey. It is entitled, Is It the Lost Ark? Good afternoon, everyone. I hope you can hear me okay. Okay, good. Well, unfortunately, it's, re- it's reverted back to a uh, dull and overcast December day, hasn't it, after those glorious 70s days we had on Wednesday and Thursday. Beautiful. I love that about this part of America compared to, to Britain. Britain, as, as Matt will know, from October through March, it's dull and overcast, rains every other day, gets dark at 3.30. Horrible. Real easy to get the winter blues. So... so um, Quick question, who here has seen the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a famous movie. It's been around for decades. It's, it's a classic, I guess. One of my favorite movies growing up as a kid. Actually, the very first VHS video cassette I bought was Raiders of the Lost Ark back in 1988. It, you know, swashbuckling adventure, action, and it had a religious theme too. Maybe it's a guy movie, I'm not sure, but... Um, the Indiana Jones character is, is a classic and played well by, by Harrison Ford. So what I wanted to do um, in this message is another one of these messages that I've done here this year on um, the kind of the obscure stories, the ones we don't read about too much or hear too often. Um, I did one on, on Gideon at the start of the year, uh, one on Esther. Um, and so uh, this one I wanted to touch on, on this subject. Um, interesting characters and events of both the Old Testament and the New Testament. So today I'm going to talk about the Ark of the Covenant. And maybe a little later I can try and answer that question. Is it the lost Ark? And, but more importantly for us, is it relevant to us today in, as 21st century Christians? So, what is the Ark of the Covenant? It was also known as the Ark of the Testimony, and in some verses, the Ark of God. And if uh, Brian can put up that first picture I sent you, I've got a few pictures here I wanted to show. This is the traditional-looking Ark of the Covenant there. Uh, a gold chest, the measurements are given in the Old Testament, and what it equates to approximately, because it's given in cubits in the Bible, it equates to about four feet long, um, two and a quarter feet wide and two and a quarter feet high. And as you can look at it, it looks beautiful, um, overladen with gold. Uh, basically, a wooden chest uh, made out of acacia wood um, and overlaid with gold over the whole thing. Um, gold poles, as you can see, they're going through the, the two, uh, the four ringlets that are on, a, on each, each end and each side, and that way it can be carried. And those, were the, those poles were made out of the same acacia wood and overlaid with gold. Um, and then on the, uh, there's a lid on top, which has the two angels, the two, two uh, uh, cherubim or cherubim on top, uh, facing towards each other, but also looking down to what is termed as the mercy seat, which is the, the top of the, uh, the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. Um, so sometime after its construction, uh, it would later go on to hold the two tablets 
of stone that Moses received from God, which had the, the original Ten Commandments on. It also had Aaron's uh, budding rod in there later on, and also a, a pot of manna. So, um, what, so what, therefore, when we see a good look at it there, beautiful looking thing that it was, I wanna, let's look and go back to see when it was originally instructed by God to Moses how to build this, what to do. So we're going to go and look at Exodus chapter 25 and uh, verses 10 through 22. Exodus chapter 25 verses 10 through 22. Verse 10. And they shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, four feet, a cubit and a half its width, and a cubit and a half its height. Two and a quarter feet, so about 27 inches. Uh, wide and 27 inches high. And you shall overlay it with pure gold. Inside and out you shall overlay it and shall make on it a molding of gold all around. You shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them in its four corners. Two rings shall be on one side and two rings on the other side. And you shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. You shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark that the ark may be carried by them. The poles shall be in the, the rings. The poles shall be in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. The poles had to stay in there permanently. They were not to be removed. And you shall put into the ark the testimony which I will give you. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. This will be the lid. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its width. And you shall make two cherubim uh, of gold. Of hammered work you shall make them at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end, the other cherub at the other end. You shall make the cherubim at the two ends of it of one piece with the mercy seat. So God wanted this whole lid to be made of one piece of gold and uh, to look the way they did. Um, and the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and they shall face one another the faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. And there I will meet with you, and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are on the ark of the testimony, about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. So this was um, given, commanded by God, uh, to Moses when he was on Mount Sinai, with Joshua just a little ways back when he was up there for the 40 days and 40 nights. He was uh, showing Moses what he wanted, what he wanted, the tabernacle to be built, and everything else, the table for the showbread, uh, the gold lampstand, and, and basically his plan for the tabernacle that they would have in the wilderness. And I want to read a, um, a couple of notes here in my uh, study Bible about um, verses 18 through 20, 22. Very interesting here, so let's l listen to this here. Quote, to cherubim, the only likenesses permitted in the holy worship of the Lord were these beautiful artistic representations of mysterious angelic beings. The cherub was likely a composite creature with the body of a lion, human-like face, and the wings of a great bird. Other ancient cultures had similar devices. Embroidered patterns of cherubim were also woven into the tapestry of the curtains of the tabernacle. The only cherubim's wings stretched out and faced inward, shading the mercy seat. Their faces gazed on the mercy seat itself. 
And then for verse 22, the Lord promised Moses that he would meet with him at the mercy seat. The verb carries a specific meaning, to meet at an appointed place. The Lord would also meet with Moses at the tent of meeting, and some have thought that the mercy seat and the cherubim was something of a throne for the Lord, with the extended winds of the cherubs forming an exquisite seat for him, or perhaps a footstool. And that's what I want to go back to. Let's read verse 22 again. Verse 22. And there I will meet with you, and I will speak, you, speak with you from above the mercy seat. That must have both thrilled and scared Moses. In the sense that God's presence, the Spirit of God, would be meeting with him the tabernacle. So the Ark of the Covenant was one of the ways God would communicate with Moses. But because it was a way of God bringing himself to the Israelites, it would be holy. And some directives were given by God as to its use. So I, I break this down to four general points, four points of generality here. First of all, it would be covered with skins, animal skins, and a blue cloth would, would be placed over it. So it couldn't be seen. That this pure, beautiful gold couldn't be seen to the naked eye for anybody. Um, when it was out in the open. Secondly, only the Levites were allowed to carry it. Nobody else. And they would carry the ark using the gold-covered poles. Thirdly, it would be carried about 800 yards or 2,600 feet in advance of the people or the Israelite army whenever they were on the move. And the fourth point, it would be kept behind a veil in the Holy of Holies, both in the tabernacle tent, out in the wilderness, and later on in the Holy of Holies in Solomon's temple. So the Ark of the Covenant would come to symbolize the power of God. Perhaps when the people saw it being carried, it would remind or renew their faith in God. And I feel sometimes, this is my take on this, I feel sometimes as, as humans, we need to see the physical or want to um, physically see something, like seeing is believing, as the saying goes. Um, the fact that God allowed this golden chest to be there in the wilderness, in the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle. Yes, only a few of them got to physically see the ark. But to know it was there and that God's presence would descend onto it every once in a while, did that make the Israelites feel safer? Um, or feel closer to God? It's an interesting question, I think. And in the sense that sometimes I wish Jesus was walking out there in amongst us today be great just to physically see him or to bump into an angel perhaps to physically see a part of God or a presence of God obviously manifests that belief and that faith in you 100, 1000% but that's the important question, that's the important point there isn't it though, but we have faith and as the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 11 verse 1 faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And that's what we go on. We don't have to physically see Jesus now. We have faith. 
something that unfortunately the Israelites in the wilderness lacked big time. So I wanted to look at three main instances that are mentioned in the Bible involving the ark. Showing that God used it as a vessel for his power, um, but also that he protected his chosen people. So let's just scan through these, these areas real quick. Uh, let's go to the book of Joshua, chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 13 through 17. The famous instance here where the, the ark is used, Joshua chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. And it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off. The waters that come down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. So the Israelites have come to the river Jordan here. And this is what God has decided will happen here. Showing his power, showing how he is behind his people. So it was, verse 14, so it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water. For the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest. That the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zaratan. So the waters that went down into the sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, failed and were cut off. And the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Then the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel, all the Israelites, crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. And then as soon as the high priest, the Levites, carrying the ark, step back onto the other side of the bank, the waters closed back up again. So in this instance, it's important to note here that God didn't stop a, a low river in a time of drought. You know, the river Jordan was gushing. It was full up on the banks, full and overflowing. So God made it a little more interesting for all those involved at that time. Let's go just over a couple of chapters. As you noted there, they were coming to Jericho. And this is one of the most famous instances of the involvement of the ark. Uh, Joshua chapter 6, verses 6 through 20. Joshua 6, verses 6 through 20. Okay. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horn before the ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Proceed and march around the city, and let him who was armed advance before the ark of the Lord. So it was when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard came after the ark while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. Verse 10. Now Joshua had commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, Shout. Then you shall shout. So he had the ark of the Lord circle the city, going around it once. Then they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. 
And Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. Then seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew with the trumpets. And the armed men went before them, but the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. And so they did this six days. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times this time in the same manner. On that day, only they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it happened, when the priests blew the trumpets, that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction. It and all who are in it, only Rahab or Rahab, the harlot, shall live. She and all who are with her in her house, because she, did the, because she hid the messengers that we sent. Verse 18. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So verse 20, So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout, and that the wall fell down flat. And the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. So, and I'm going to read a, read a little insert here on my study Bible too about, about verse 20 to conclude this on, the, on Jericho. With a great blast of the horns and a great shout from the people, God miraculously delivered Jericho into their hands. The wall fell down flat, parentheses, under itself. The account of the taking of Jericho verses 18, 8 through 20, is related in a slow, climax-building style. This first great obstacle, obstacle to Israel's possession of the land fell merely at a shout of the people. The fact that it was utterly destroyed in a moment illustrates God's complete and effortless mastery over all his people's opponents." End quote. So with the Ark, the covenant there, the blowing the trumpets and the people shouting, and maybe perhaps as Reg mentioned in his message, a, a vibration of sorts brought the walls down and Jericho was destroyed. One of the most memorable and famous stories of the Old Testament. And one uh, little other one I'm going to look at here is uh, the book of Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Now this is a, an interesting story because this, as you've read before I'm sure, is the case of when the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant after they defeated um, the Israelites and killed 30,000 Israelites. So let's begin here at First uh, Samuel chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Then the Philistines took the ark of the God and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. And Dagon was a false god, uh, very similar to uh, Baal, uh, I guess in their, in their world, I think Dadod may have been the son of Baal. So, a bit of a relation there. Um, and when the people of Ashdod arose early in the morning, there was Dagon fallen on its face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and set it in its place again. So they stood it back up upright. So, okay, well, there must have been something weird happened there. We'll carry on. And when they arose early the next morning, there was Dagon 
fallen on its face to the ground before the ark of the Lord again. But this time, the head was gone, and the hands were broken off. Okay? As it says there, the head of the Dagon and both the palms of its hands were broken off on the threshold. Only Dagon's torso was left of it. Therefore, neither the priests of Dagon nor any who come into Dagon's house tread on the threshold Dagon in Ashdod to this day. But the hand of the Lord was heavy on the people of Ashdod, and he ravaged them and struck them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. And when the man of, men of Ashdod saw how it was, they said, The ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, you think? For his hand is as harsh toward us and, uh, and, da- and to Dagon our God. Therefore they sent and gathered to themselves all the lords of the Philistines and said, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? And they answered, Let the ark of the God of Israel be carried away to Gath. Get it away from here. Send it over there. So they carried the ark of the God of Israel away. So it was, after they carried away, that the land of the Lord was against the city with a great very destruction, or with a very great destruction. And he struck the men of the city, both small and great, and tumors broke out on all of them. Verse 10, Therefore they sent the ark of God to Ekron, sent it away again. So it was, as the ark of God came to Ekron, that the Ekronots cried out, saying, They have brought the ark of the God of Israel to us to kill us and our people. So they sent and gathered together all the laws of the Philistines and said, Send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it go back to its own place so that it does not kill us and our people. For there was a deadly destruction throughout all the city. The hand of God was very heavy there, and the men who did not die were stricken with the tumors, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. So they said, you know what? We don't want it. You can have it back. And they sent it back on an unmanned cart with a couple of horses, and it went back up into Israel by itself. God directed it back up there. So, the Philistines made golden tumors and golden mice as a memorial to what had happened and sent those back to Israel with the unmanned card. And they were glad to see the back of it. Because it was, it's funny here, I think it's in a different chapter, how it mentions how after the first couple of instances, they volunteered another city to take it. You're taking it. We don't care what you say. You're having it next. And it didn't work out. We don't want it. So... And actually, in the late 1970s, um, a five-line inscription was found on a grain silo in the ruins of uh, Isbet Sata, <coughs> which is in modern-day Israel, modern Israel. And when deciphered, it was found to contain a Philistine account of this battle, the battle that the 30,000 uh, Israelites were killed. The capture of the ark is mentioned, and even specifically mentioned in the priest Hophni, who was one of the high priests at the time. And this is the earliest known extra-biblical reference to an Old Testament event. So, so very interesting there to see how God worked with his people. And, uh, and, and that's, that's how it's, it's, as a side note, referencing back to the movie, Ready is the Last Hark, how, yeah, the Nazis would have wanted something like the Ark of the Covenant. But, it wouldn't have given them the power because like the Philistines they would have understood or they would not have understood at all how to, how to work with it, how the Levites had to carry it it had to be covered and so on and of course evil people like the Nazis it just wouldn't work but Hitler didn't 
understand that. They didn't know that. They just wanted, they just wanted to grab these things and uh, and see if it would help them. So, so the ark would appear every now and then in various places throughout the Old Testament. Um, <clears throat> it pops up in some instances during uh, Saul's reign as king, and again during David's time as king. Most famously for David, when he comes back into Jerusalem dancing before the ark as you bring it back into the city after it had been gone away for a while. So then, after being on the scene for 800 years, the ark vanishes from history when the Babylonians destroy Jerusalem and Solomon's temple in 587 BC. But they didn't take the ark, otherwise it would have been recorded in their history books, their, their history somewhere. So there are theories that uh, where it could have gone um, as, you know, is it somewhere in Jerusalem, under the, perhaps under the Temple Mount? That's a, a strong theory a lot of people think. There's also a theory that the Jews who escaped Babylon went down to uh, Egypt, down into Africa with the Ark of the Covenant, and ended up in Ethiopia, because there's a small group of Jews in Ethiopia. And specifically, the Axum Church, a lot of you probably heard about this, the Axum Church in Ethiopia is a small group of Orthodox uh, Jews, and they have, they say they have the Ark of the Covenant in their Holy of Holies in that church, um, and have done for, for centuries, obviously. Um, and I think it's interesting, I saw a documentary ooh, 10 years ago about this. Um, one of the uh, high priests that was tending, and maybe they did the same thing, go into the Holy of Holies once a year on the day of atonement to, to pray before and see the Ark, that um, when he talked about it a few years after, um, somebody asked him what did he feel when he was in the presence of the ark. And he said fear. He felt fear. And uh, that's an interesting way that that would certainly jive with being in the presence of the ark of the covenant. But I'm not so sure. You know, I, I, I think if God wanted, um, if, he, if God wanted the ark to be discovered or found or kept, he would have mentioned it somewhere or he would, have, he would have shown us. So is it lost? To man, yes. To God, no. Um, he knows exactly where it is. And uh, if he wanted it to be discovered, it would have by now. So there are those theories, and they're interesting. There's been books written about you know, how it's under the Temple Mount, but you can't get under the Temple Mount because the Muslims control the Temple Mount, and you can only go down so far. Is it down further down in there? I don't know. Is it in the church, in Axum Church in Ethiopia? Interesting, but I'm not so sure. So, when Christ came to earth 2,000 years ago, physically, in person, that was it, though, wasn't it? That changed everything. While we must not have idols of him, and the fact that he walked the earth, he preached, he preached, he healed people, raised people from the dead over 30-something years, that negates the reason for the Ark of the Covenant being needed anymore. And that's where the point is lost on a lot of people. The Ark represented God's presence on earth. He would <coughs> descend to the very mercy seat of the Ark and converse with Moses. He would use it as a vessel to convey his power as we saw in some of these stories here, and show his power and might to the world. But now, 
we have direct access to the God of the Old Testament in Christ Jesus. And you'll have also have access to God the Father too. By Christ's sacrifice and him defeating death, we have all we need. See, we don't need the Ark of the Covenant anymore. We have Jesus Christ. So let's look at one final scripture here. I want to relate and bring this all back together again. It's going to be in the book of John, chapter 14, verses 16 through 18. John, <coughs> chapter 14, verses 16 through 18. And this is why we don't necessarily need the Ark of the Covenant anymore, in this sense. John 14, verses 16 through 18. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that it may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees it nor knows it, but you know it, for it dwells with you and will be in you. Verse 18. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. See? We don't need physical Ark of the Covenant, we have Christ Jesus. He's there. And we have access to him 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. He is present with us now, just as he was present with Moses 3,500 years ago, in a different sense, in a way. Our great God gave us the Ark. He showed his people that he was with them in the wilderness for 40 years. His presence was there. They knew he was there, although they grumbled and complained. He was there all the way. <clears throat> he defeated their enemies for them. He displayed his awesome majesty through the Ark of the Covenant again and again. And I, I just touched on like three instances. I just want to show you those three instances, maybe the most three famous instances. Crossing the River Jordan and uh, the walls of Jericho coming down, and then the instance when the, the Philistines stole the ark. But there are many more instances. And actually, I want to show, bring those other pictures up, uh, Brian, if you could. See, this one here is the crossing of the Jordan, when the, the, the rivers were stopped, and they have the ark there, the priests, and the people of Israel waiting to cross. Let's go to the next one, Brian. <clears throat> this is another one here with an artist's illustration of the ark being carried, the blowing of the horns and the trumpets as the walls of Jericho come down. And then finally this last one here of the might and the power of the ark being used there in battle as it was by both King Saul and King David to defeat Midianites uh, one particular instance. And so, yeah, the power of the ark of the covenant was there and God would use it in instances like this, and this is the idea that the Nazis would have had, and other evil people that have gone through the ages. We find the Ark of the Covenant, look what we can do. No, no, it wouldn't have worked for you that way, okay? God's Ark. He used it for his people, his chosen people, the people of Israel, okay? And, uh, yeah, unbelievable power and awesome might that God displayed through the Ark of the Covenant. And many, many other examples of other, other ways that God did that, but um, in, you know, an incredible thing. So, but now we have a different route to God's presence. We worship and praise Him together here. We honor His holy days and His Sabbath. And if we want to go into our room and talk with God in prayer, we can do that. See? 
Christ will not leave us orphans. And the great news that he's going to return. So we can look forward to that. And we can thank him for showing us his history in the pages of the Bible.